Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We hope that today's message helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that the Lord has created you to do. Today we're going to talk about redemption. Everybody loves a good redemption story. All right? One of the most well-known sports players, he does have a redemption story. Now here's the thing, like him or not, Tom Brady is the greatest player of all time. And if you don't agree with that, we can fight in the parking lot after church. Okay? He is a redemption story. Drafted in the sixth round, told he was too skinny and too slow. And that skinny, slow kid played for over 20 years, won seven Super Bowls. Actually played in ten Super Bowls, won seven of them. And he lost three to the NFC East to two of the teams who aren't the Cowboys or the Commanders. Uh, so that's everybody in this church's team there. Um, you are not the Tom Brady defeater. I guess you beat him in his last ever game, right? Is that a thing? Did, did the Cowboys beat the Bucks? <laughs> Whatever. You retired the guy who unretired. But that's not the guy that I want to focus on with my sports analogy. Anybody heard of a quarterback named Kurt Warner? Yeah. Kurt Warner. See, I'm, I'm getting old. So I remember the greatest show on turf when they played the Tennessee Titans in the Super Bowl back in 1999, it was the Titans, I think, second or third year from breaking Houstonians' hearts. They used to be the Oilers. They were our team. And then they got greedy and left. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Kurt Warner worked in a grocery store. After college, nothing really happened. He was working in a grocery store, and he got a call to go and play I think in Canada, and he was doing fine there, and then he got his big shot to go to the NFL and live his dream. And he was the quarterback for what is known as the greatest show on turf, the St. Louis Rams back in the late 90s, Marshall Falk running the ball, Kurt Warner throwing the ball. They won one Super Bowl, and then they lost to the Tom Brady's in their second Super Bowl attempt. And then all of a sudden, his career kind of dipped a little bit, and he wasn't playing so well anymore, so St. Louis decided to move to the quarterback of their future, a guy named Mark Bolger. If you haven't heard of him, there's a reason. <laughs> they let Kurt Warner go, and Kurt Warner went and went to the New York Giants, and he was going to help Eli Manning and help train him up and help raise this guy, <clears throat> excuse me, raise this guy to be the next great quarterback. And uh, that experiment lasted one year. He was a New York Giant for one season, and he was unemployed again from the NFL. And so a couple years go by, and he gets picked up by the Arizona Cardinals. Now, if you've been a football fan for longer than 10 years, Arizona Cardinals is historically one of the worst teams in NFL history, and they put all of their hopes in a guy who used to sack groceries doesn't make a lot of sense. They brought him in, and he had a good few couple years, but, you know, again, he, his trajectory was going down. So th they drafted a quarterback who was going to be the future of their franchise and going to be the new face of the Arizona Cardinals by a man named Matt Leinert. And they adopted a culture of continuing to lose with Matt Leinert. He wasn't that good either. So in 2008... They give the starting job back to Kurt Warner. 
I know half you don't care about this, but football's over. This is what I have to do now, okay? <laughs> and my team lost, so whatever. 2008, Kurt Warner goes and has statistically one of the greatest seasons that he had in his entire career. Won his third NFL MVP, went to the Super Bowl where he was 35 seconds away from winning his second Super Bowl, but he lost to the Ben Roethlisberger's, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers there, with about 30 seconds left, one of the greatest Super Bowls played of all time. Why does all that matter? For half of you, it doesn't at all, and you've been tuning me out. But for those of you who still care, it's because redemption is one of our favorite things that we love to talk about with people. Those stories, those comeback stories. Those people who had no business being where they were and then watching them succeed at the highest level. We love to hear stories about that. Now today, I'm going to discuss with you guys my favorite redemptive story in the Bible, which is literally the entire book of Hosea. If you've never read the book of Hosea, you're in for a treat today because I'm going to summarize the entire book, so you don't have to. Uh, it's a big book. It's 14 chapters, to, I mean, as far as to read all the scripture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize the chapters for you and then discuss a few things, if that's okay. Uh, the first chapter of Hosea, God is speaking to Hosea, and he tells Hosea, hey, I want you to go and marry a prostitute named Gomer, okay? Now, that in and of itself is a strange request from the Lord, go and marry a prostitute, but Hosea, he decided, all right, I'll listen to you, Lord, I'll do what you command, and he did. Now, this marriage was meant to be a symbol of God's relationship with his people, Israel, who at this time, they are at the height of being turned away from God. Their backs are completely turned away from the Lord. They've started to seek false idols, and they are not living the life that God has set up for them to lead. See, and then the Lord uses this image of an unfaithful wife to describe how Israel has broken the covenant by worshiping these false gods and therefore became unfaithful to him. This book is just one um, giant story that is a reflection of human life and also the spiritual realm. So Isaiah, uh, Hosea, he goes and he marries Gomer and he knows from the very beginning that she is going to be unfaithful. She is going to step out on their marriage. She is not going to be true to the wedding vows, much like what Israel was currently doing. Now, in chapter 2, there's two ways to look at chapter 2. And this is really cool about this book. You can look at it from Hosea's perspective, and you can also look at it from God's perspective towards Israel. All right, bear with me. I'm going to get there. So in chapter 2, God is speaking to the people of Israel. He's lamenting how they have broken the covenant and how their idolatry has caused them to be unfaithful to him. But see, then God promises that he will bring them back to him. See, the point of chapter 2 is to show, yes, they have done wrong and and. They are out there worshiping their false idols, and they have completely turned their back on me. But 
It also shows God's promise. It shows that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And he tells Israel, he says that I will bring you back in a new way through grace and mercy rather than punishment. See, in the Old Testament, when peoples would turn against God, there was often a great punishment that came with it. Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, just destroyed everything. Lot's wife, when she turned to look back, turned into a pillar of salt. There was a lot of judgment in the Old Testament in the early part. This is really the first time in the Old Testament that we see God, instead of judging harshly, he wants to bring people back through grace and redemption. Okay? Now, in chapter 3, as is known by her title, Gomer, which is the wife, does leave... Hosea, and she's gone out, and she's living her life of promiscuity. And in that, God tells Hosea, hey, you're not giving up on her. You need to go. You need to find your wife. You need to bring her back home to you, and you need to start this relationship anew. So that's what Hosea did. And in fact, Gomer had gotten herself into a situation that she was actually having to be purchased back by Hosea. He had to pay 15 shekels and he had to pay barrels of barley and some wine in order to purchase her back. And that's what God also did for the people of Israel, right? How did he purchase the people of Israel back? With his own son. There are lines right here. There's parallels between the two stories Um, that are just amazing when you really look at it. And and after a while, Hosea then speaks out to Israel and he calls on them to repent and to return to the Lord so that God can restore them to himself. Hosea also prophesies that the people of Israel will be reunited and restored to the Lord and that he will bless them and make them a great nation again. And then in chapters 4 through 14, what you're looking at is, the, um, the, which is the remaining book, Hosea is continuing to call the people of Israel and of Judah to repentance and also address the nations around him. He speaks of their sins, he speaks of God's judgment, but also of his mercy and his restoration. He speaks of the coming of the Messiah and the coming of a new age of peace, of justice, of righteousness. He also speaks of the hope of forgiveness and redemption for all who turn to God in repentance. Okay, so you've got three main characters in this book of Hosea. You've got Hosea, you've got Gomer, and you've got Israel. Okay, and what I want to do briefly is I want to look at the redemption stories for each of those three people. Okay, so let's start with Hosea. Now, what did God do for Hosea? He showed Hosea grace, and he showed him mercy. See, Hosea's wife, Gomer, had been unfaithful to him. She broke the marriage vows. And when Hosea found out, he was understandably angry. Yet, instead of seeking revenge, God directed Hosea to show mercy and grace to Gomer. See, this was an act of redemption, and it showed Hosea that God still loved him even when he had been wronged. How many of you in this room have been wronged? And you feel, you don't have to raise your hand, it's most of you. 
If you've ever been wronged, you can sympathize with Hosea. You feel in your heart that anger, that animosity towards the person who has hurt you. But where many of us differ from Hosea is instead of seeking grace and forgiveness and redemption, we let our hearts become hard. We hold anger and we hold grudges against those who have wronged us. Freedom Track is one of the greatest ministries that we offer here at Uncommon Church. And one of the big things that you learn about in Freedom Track, and if you haven't got there yet with this group, sorry. Oh, we're getting there today. Forgiveness today. Awesome. One of the things that you learn is that when you don't forgive somebody, okay, it's like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When you don't forgive they have no idea that you're probably even mad at them. They have no clue that you are sitting there in your chair night after night stewing about whatever situation it was that hurt you. Now, some of you are very vocal people and very confrontational, and people know when you're upset. Okay? We know. But some of you are, not, are more passive. And you'd rather just let things be and roll off your back. But what you're doing is you are hardening your heart by not pursuing God with forgiveness. See, what Hosea did, he could have been hard-hearted. He could have swore off relationships for the rest of his life. But that wasn't what God wanted for Hosea. And can I tell you a secret? It's not what God wants for you either. It doesn't matter what the situation is, if you have unforgiveness and hardness in your heart, God cannot bless you during those times. So I want to encourage you to be more like Hosea. Yeah, you're hurt. It stinks. It's not fun. But isn't it so much better to seek that forgiveness, being able to forgive somebody who hurt you, and even more so, being able to forgive yourself if you've hurt somebody else. That's another big key. A couple weeks ago, uh, Messenger College, Linnea is the campus pastor at Messenger, and we were doing a little prayer meeting in the upstairs nest, and I was standing against the wall just praying, and the Lord spoke to me and said, hey, see that girl over there? Yeah, I see her. You hurt her, and you need to go ask for forgiveness. I was like, what? I don't even know what I did. I, I Honestly, still to this moment, I, I'm not sure how I hurt her. But when God tells you that you did something, you probably did it. And so I went to her, and I opened my mouth, and, and I started to apologize. And I said, hey, I hurt you. And when those three words came out of my mouth, I hurt you, she started weeping. So at that moment, even though I still have no idea, I have a guess, I'm still not exactly sure what it was that I did, I knew in that moment that I did something. And one of the greatest things, yes, it makes me feel awful that I hurt somebody. Those of you that know me in any kind of a relationship, you know that's not what I enjoy doing. 
I love people. I love wrapping you up in a hug. I don't like to hurt people, so it's not part of my MO. But what it did in that moment, especially for her, for me, it made me feel bad. But for her, it gave her that moment of being able to forgive and then being able to remember that God always has you in the palm of his hand in every situation. And as I continued to apologize and repent, I saw the light come back to her eyes and I saw that excitement again that a Bible school student should have come back all in three simple words, I hurt you. Husbands, if you have hurt your wife, fathers, if you've hurt your children, mothers, same thing. If you've hurt family members, if you've hurt people in the church, if you've hurt a coworker, I want you to try that this week. I want you to go to somebody who you know that you've hurt, and I want you to apologize to them. You can even do it right here in this service if you want. Because the best thing that you can do for somebody is give them the opportunity to forgive. And that is what God was allowing Hosea to do. That was the redemption story here for Hosea, is being able to choose to forgive instead of allowing his heart to become hard. Then God provided Hosea with the new beginning. Okay, he, uh, after Hosea showed grace and mercy to Gomer, God allowed them to start over and rebuild their marriage. We have a lot of testimonies of marriages in this room who needed to be rebuilt and restored, and they didn't see how it was going to happen but God. And you know who you are. But God. There is nothing I would imagine worse than teetering on the line of divorce. Being lost in that sense of hopelessness that nothing is ever going to be able to change. But then God stepped into the middle of it and allowed you to rebuild the relationship with the person that you love more than anybody else on this planet. And that is your covenant, if you're not aware of that. Children are a blessing. I have three beautiful children. My daughter just turned three on Friday, and she keeps telling everybody, I'm four. And we're like, no, honey, slow down. You're only three. But they are not my main love. Your main love, your main responsibility is to your spouse. Yes, you have to love your children. Yes, you have to protect them. Yes, you want to train them in the way that they should go. But if you lose your relationship with your spouse in the meantime, it's all for nothing. The greatest thing you can do for your children is show them how to godly love your spouse. That is the best thing that you can do. And if you messed up on that, it's not too late to fix it. It's not too late to get that redemption story. Okay, let's move on a little bit. Hosea, after he was uh, renewed, he was given a new sense of purpose. He was no longer just a prophet. Now he was also a prophet, a husband, and a father. And this renewed purpose was a sign of God's redeeming love, and it showed Hosea that God had not forgotten him. And despite the struggles that Hosea faced, he remained faithful to God and trusted in the redemptive power of the Lord. And his faith was ultimately rewarded at the end, and it showed Hosea that God was always with him no matter what. 
All right, Gomer. Now, she's the easy target in all this for the redemptive story, right? But here's something that the Lord had with Gomer that often gets overlooked. God knew who she was. When God commanded Hosea to marry Gomer, he told Hosea, this is who she is. She was living life as a prostitute. And what did God have with her more than anyone else in this story? Patience. God had patience in redeeming Gomer. And it is a beautiful example of God's love and his grace. There are people in this room who you think that what you have done is too far for you to have this relationship with God. That what you have done is so bad, there's no way God can ever forgive you. God's patience will outlast your stubbornness. He will love you until you decide to turn your life around to him or to completely walk away from him. I was in the prayer, uh, prayer room with the team this morning and Jean spoke a word. And she said, usually we pray for new salvations and we pray for prodigals to return. But today I feel that there are people in the room who are, I'm, this is my word, teetering on the line, going back and forth between a walk with God and walking away from God. So much so that you don't even know if you're saved or not. And then another one of the prayer team members, Bill, spoke up and he came and told me, he said, we're going to have some baptisms today. Because those of you who are walking that line and you're not sure if you're saved or not, today is your day. Today is your day to decide to stop teetering on the line, to pick your side, and to take your stand. It, it seems so scary because, unfortunately, a lot of us were raised under poor theology. And we have this idea that when we sin and we mess up, that God is angry with us. That's why I'm telling you this story. I want you to see that God has grace and love and patience for everybody in this room. And that no matter what you've done, you can still be brought to relationship with him. He did not immediately punish Gomer for her sin. He could have, but he didn't. But rather he showed her mercy and compassion as he waited for her to accept his forgiveness, and his grace. See, despite Gomer's very public sin, God still loved her unconditionally. And there is nobody in this room who is beyond God's love. He gave her a husband who loved her despite her poor choices. There are people in this room right now that you feel unworthy of love. That because of the life you lived when you were single, or maybe when you were married, you don't deserve happiness. You don't deserve love. You don't deserve to have another human being trust you and build a life and build a relationship with you. Nothing is farther from the truth. God wants to restore. He wants to redeem. 
And he wants to give you that person who will love you more than anything you could have ever expected while you were on this earth. See, Hosea was willing to forgive Gomer and accept her back after she repeatedly ran away and had affairs with other men. Hosea then, like we already said, he demonstrated his unconditional love by not only going to grab her arm and bring her home, he paid money. It's like buying your marriage license and then having to buy it again. He bought her back to come and live with him. And this part of the story is really cool. Hosea told Gomer when they came back home, he said, you are not going to sleep with anybody, myself included, until such a time that we are redeemed and restored. See, Gomer took it even a step further. He brought her back in, and then he offered her a safe place to rebuild her relationship with God the Father without any added pressure of being the good wife. He let her have her space to come to terms with her life and to make that call and commitment herself. Guys, it's like when your wife comes home from work and starts to tell you about her awful day. Now, me and my wife work together, so I usually know if she had a good or a bad day. But when your wife comes home from work and she is just laying it all out there for you, how many of you guys are fixers? Don't do that. Yeah, okay, whatever. Fine, just me and Joe Clonch. We're the only fixers. Instead of listening, you try to give your advice, you try to give your opinions on how to fix this thing, when in reality, she just wants someone to talk to. She wants you to shut your mouth and listen for a little bit. That's hard for me. I'm not a mouth shutter upper. I'm not. So I've, I started to get into the habit, and honey, I'll get back into it, of asking, is this something that needs listening or fixing? And 90. 9% of the time, she's just talking and wants me to listen. Hosea knew what Gomer needed in that moment was time, yes, to be in safety, to be pulled out of that lifestyle that had trapped her for so long, but that she needed the space to come to terms with the Lord on her own. Teenagers, you kids who are in here, you kids go to service. If you're in this room, teenagers, listen to me. Your parents' faith cannot get you into heaven. You cannot make your entrance into heaven on their merit. You have to build your own relationship with the Lord, which is what we are trying to allow on Wednesday night. It's what we allow in here on Sunday morning. And parents, prayerfully, you are walking them through that at home. Because while we want to protect, we also have to let them make some of their own mistakes and learn their relationship with the Lord on their own. And that is what Hosea was doing to Gomer. God had every right to judge her harshly, yet he chose to show her mercy and grace instead. He offered her a chance to turn from her sin and to start anew. That was the redemptive story of Gomer. Now, let's look at Israel. 
in the book of Hosea, Israel is described as being unfaithful to God and having turned away from him. Doesn't that sound familiar? He also speaks of the consequences of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. He speaks of God's wrath and his punishment as well as his judgment upon them. He speaks of the destruction of the nation and the exile of its people. He speaks of the pain and the suffering that would result from their disobedience. He speaks of God's disappointment in them and the consequences of their actions. All the doom and gloom stuff. But as God always does, Israel is then described as having been loved by God, even though they were being unfaithful to him. Hosea speaks of God's faithfulness and mercy towards them as he promises to restore them to favor and restore his relationship between Israel and himself. Hosea 14, 4 through 7 says this. This is God's promise to the nation of Israel at the end of the book. It says, Then I will heal you of your faithfulness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew for heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will then live again under my shade, under my covering. They will flourish like grain, and they will blossom like the grapevines, and they will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. I really want to go to Lebanon right now. Sounds really cool and beautiful and smells good. God also tells them that he will be their God, and that he will remain faithful to them even when they are not. See, that's what's so incredible about God the Father. He loves us no matter where we are in our lives. No matter what you have done, I want to say it again. No matter what you have done, there is nothing too big or too bad for God to turn away from you. Nothing. If you're an adulterer, if you're a drunk, if you're a drug addict, if you're a porn addict, if you're a prodigal, if you are cheating on your spouse, if you have tendencies to be abusive towards your children or spouse, either physically or verbally, if you have a lot of anger in your heart, God wants you to know that none of that is too big for him. All we have to do is turn it over to him. Take the example of Gomer, the well-known prostitute, who even after years of living a public lifestyle of sin, was able to have that time where she could turn her life around and run towards God. Go ahead and stand with me. Prayer team, if you'll make your way to the altar.
I read a comment on Facebook. I know that that's reliable. It's a good news source. I was watching one of the, uh, I think it was the Asbury Chapel service that started this revival. Now I watched the service and there was nothing from what I could tell in the service that actually sparked the revival. And so I started reading through the comments because I'm nosy and I can't help it. And I saw one of the comments that, if true, explains what, what Pastor Brad was saying about the first real revival in Gen Z. The comment said that after chapel had been dismissed, there was a small group of students who stayed around and they were talking, probably avoiding going to class. I was there, I've, I've done it. And they were just talking and, and having a relationship, communion with one another. And there was this young man who spoke up about how he is a suicide survivor. He attempted suicide a few years ago and it failed. And ever since it failed, he has started to see little changes in his life that eventually led him back to a relationship with the father. Raised in church, did all the things you're supposed to do as a kid. But once they got out there on their own, went through some stuff, attempted suicide, just felt that they were at the end of their leash, nothing else, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me. And that attempt failed. And from that, his life began to change and he ultimately did what Gomer did, turned his whole life around, ran towards the Lord, ran to Asbury. And in that moment, this person who was writing this comment said that after that revelation, that's when the Spirit of God fell upon that room that has been ongoing for nine, ten days, whatever it is now. It was a redemption story. You want revival in your life? You want revival in your family? You want revival in your church? You've got to redeem yourself. You've got to take the things that are still broken, throw them in the trash, leave the trash at the curb, and walk away from it. You cannot drag your stuff with you. You cannot take your baggage with you. You cannot pull it behind you. It will always weigh you down. Even if you have a fancy suitcase with wheels, it's still heavier than not having it at all. Leave your baggage behind you. No matter how long this revival lasts, if it lasts just a few weeks, if it lasts several years, if it lasts until God comes back, it all started because of redemption. If you are enslaved like Gomer was, God will buy you back. If you are lost, God will find you. If you are ashamed, God will cover you. If you wander off, God will bring you home. If you give up on him, he will not give up on you. No matter where you are, God sees you, God knows you, and God loves you. 
God's grace is a beautiful gift that he offers to all of us, no matter how great our sins may be. He is willing to forgive us and to restore us to a right relationship with him. As I said a little while ago, I jumped ahead of myself, but that's okay. When we were meeting with the prayer team earlier and Gene spoke that word about there's salvation, there's prodigals, but then there's that third group, the teeterers, as I'm calling them. That was not her word. She has much better words than me. Those of you who, if somebody asked you, are you saved right now, you would not know if you are. Just for a moment, I want to speak to you people. Just just for a moment. You teeterers, you are being called today to make your decision. You are being called to put down your past. You are being called to put down your addiction. You are being released of your anger, your suicidal thoughts, and you can find freedom at these altars. In fact, you need to repent and be baptized today. Now that's gonna take some extreme faith on your part. That's gonna take a lot of strength because now, oh, if I get up there and get baptized, everybody's gonna know I had junk. Hey, can I tell you a secret? There ain't one person in this room who doesn't have junk. We all have a past, all of us. The key is not worrying about the people in this church judging you for what you've done. The key is when you realize that the people in these seats are your number one fans. They want more than anything for you to experience what they have already been able to experience by giving their heart and life to the Lord and then putting it under the water. In just a second, we're going to do our altar call and our prayer time. If you are one of these people, you're a teeterer, I want you to meet Brent. You'll know him when you see him. By that door over there, and he's going to take you to get clothes so you can go change and you can get baptized right now. Okay? That's what we're going to do. Be bold be brave. We want to celebrate you. We will not judge you. I don't care what you've done. I just want to party with you after you come up out of the water. Okay? Now, before we pray this prayer together, if you have never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is a perfect time. This is the perfect place amongst people who love you, who want to support you. If you have walked away from the Lord and you don't know if you want to come back to the Lord, can I just encourage you? It will be the best decision you've ever made. Come back today. If you will, uh, everybody bow your head, close your eyes.
Today, if you need Jesus, if you need a right relationship with the Lord, I need to know who we are praying for before we pray our prayer together. If you are giving your heart to the Lord either for the first time or the first time in a long time, can I please see your hand? I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? Okay. What about you at home? If you're sitting in your chair, on your couch, in the car, at work, and you just felt, Lord, I need to make myself right with you. I want you to text Jesus to 817-405-2244. And when you get a text back, please click the link and fill out the online connect card so one of our pastors can reach out, pray with you, give you your next steps, and celebrate what God is going to do in your life. But for the sake of everybody in the room, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I come before you today humbled and in desperate need of your grace and mercy. I confess that I have sinned and done wrong and I am truly sorry. I accept you as my Lord and Savior and I am ready to follow you and your will. Help me to be faithful in my walk with you so that I can live a life that is pleasing to you. Amen. Praise God for his gift of salvation today. If you are one of those who gave your hearts to the Lord today, we are so proud of you. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.